Quick disclaimer, all information, content, and material of this podcast are the opinions of the speakers and is for the informational purpose only and not intended to serve as a substitute for the consultation, diagnosis, and or medical treatment of a qualified healthcare provider. Welcome to the Untethered Podcast. I am your host, Hallie Balkin. I'm a certified orofacial myologist, feeding specialist, and mentor. This podcast is all about getting your questions answered and collaborating with colleagues to bring you the most up-to-date information in the orofacial myofunctional therapy, tethered oral tissue, and airway space. I challenge you to keep an open mind and join my mission to get this information out to the masses. Let's get started. Hi, and welcome to episode 78 of the Untethered Podcast. Today, we have Mackenzie Hoffman joining us. Mackenzie is a speech-language pathologist who has always had a passion for feeding. She started her career doing internships in the NICU and doing feeding therapy at a pediatric outpatient clinic, which started her passion for feeding. She took her first job at a pediatric outpatient clinic and started a feeding program, which only grew her passion and love for food and feeding therapy. Her current role is providing NICU follow-up services for babies and their families. She follows babies from the time they leave the NICU until they're eating like their peers. She does a lot of work helping the transitioning of NG and G-tubes, as well as helping babies start solids. She has worked alongside talented OTs and PTs and is a strong believer in collaboration using a team approach and early intervention. She is also a mom of two and started an Instagram account where her, when her youngest was starting solids, as people were always asking for tips and ideas. The growth of her account has only fed into her continued desire to help families feed their children in a positive and holistic way. Mackenzie, welcome to the podcast. I'm so excited you're joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. I want to jump right on in and start talking about, you know, your history right out of grad school and kind of how you got into pediatric feeding. Um, So my journey kind of started right after grad school. I didn't really have any feeding experience coming out of grad school. I got randomly placed for both of my clinical fellows in a um, feeding setting. So I did one in the hospital um, with a neonatal therapist and um, doing speech therapy there and feeding babies and watching her. So quickly developed a love for that. Um, And then my other one was at a pediatric outpatient clinic who actually, um, the SLP that I worked with there, um, specialized in feeding and they had like the whole SOS approach. They had um, the special clinic had actually an inpatient and outpatient side. Um, so they did the SOS approach with like div, um, a psychologist, PT, OT, speech, and even the physician and dietitian there. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was a really great, awesome kind of right up the back place to start to get to see all of those different things. So um, quickly developed a love for feeding there and was kind of sold on the whole idea at a really early age. And um, I was so excited out of grad school. I was pumped. I was like, okay, now I'm going to go in the NICU. I'm going to get a job. This is going to be great. And all the jobs that I was looking into were like uh, two years of experience at least. Um, and then I found that even after two years of experience, you also have to like be the next one in line. And there's usually a line of people that are waiting for that. So kind of canceled that dream. Um, kept it in the back of my head for sure. But I was like, oh, okay, well, I got to get a job somewhere. Um, ended up taking a job um, in Madison, Wisconsin. It was a small uh, private practice. Um, one woman owned it, an SLP, um, there was a physical therapist, an occupational therapist, and a speech therapist working, um, at the time, and so I told, um, I told my boss, I was kind of like, hey, I would love to work here, this sounds like a good place, but I love feeding, I saw you don't have any feeding here, is there any way we can kind of make that happen, and she was like, tell me about it, 
<laughs> told her all about it, how much I loved it, how much I'd seen it work. Um, the clinic there had a lot of kiddos on the autism spectrum. So I felt kind of comfortable selling, like, this is a really great approach. They're very, all very picky eaters. I feel like a lot of your clientele would already benefit from this. And she was kind of like, okay, whatever, tell me what you need, what training do you want to do? And so I kind of made a plan for myself and told her what I needed and what I thought that I needed to do it. And she said, go for it. And um, pleasantly surprised, it didn't take long for me to kind of recruit some families. I saw a few speech kids for a while, um, but not very long. I think I was an actual speech therapist for maybe like two months. <laughs> um, I was like, I got to get more feeding kids. So kind of started marketing that. Um, I also got super lucky because the clinic grew like so much so fast. We had like, I think it, I worked there for five years and in five years we had maybe seven clinic locations and probably almost a hundred therapists by the time I left. Wow. Um, so it went really quick and I got to work in some management level positions there kind of right out of grad school as well, just as the business took off. She kind of like took the core team and we all kind of worked together to kind of develop this business and we ran really family-centered care. Um, saw a lot of kids for feeding, um, worked with a full feeding caseload probably about a year in and just kind of kept growing from there. Then we needed more feeding therapists. So everyone that came through that wanted to do feeding kind of joined me and we kind of trained together and I started to learn from them. I kind of was like, let's hire more people that actually know what they're doing because I was kind of learning as I grew. Um, doing trainings, um, awesome work with OTs and PTs. So that's kind of where I came from. I worked in, um, we did a lot of like sensory integration therapy and worked with a lot of OTs. I feel like they gave me, I always aspired to be an OT because the OTs kind of knew more about what I was talking about than the SLPs. So um, that kind of developed my practice as well. Um, I really, we had a lot of kiddos on the spectrum. So um, started some different groups, started feeling like which kids liked what and what worked better for, for other kids and what didn't. So it was a lot of trial and error, but it was a lot of myself and reading and trying to figure it out um but everyone was doing well with it i mean i had a lot of great progress and um a lot of the therapists that were hired were newer grads and they came out of grad school learning wanting to know about feeding so i would teach them about feeding and mentor them about feeding and um i think i had like 10 feeding therapists when i stopped working there that were like on my team that I like trained and helped and went to other trainings and they would go to trainings and kind of like show me what they learned and so we had quite a good thing going we did like SOS feeding groups there um we did some like older kid feeding groups we had some baby like starting solid groups we had all the things I had a great boss and she was very facilitative to anything that we wanted to do and um, loved any idea that came our way. So it was just a really great experience, something that was really hard for me to leave. Um, but I was still kind of had that NICU dream in the back of my head, like gotta get to the NICU, gotta get to those babies. Um, I collaborated with a lot of um, area professionals as well, trying to grow the feeding program. And I had tried to get babies in, but it was in Madison and we had like the UW Madison there too. So they had a lot of in-home things there. Um, so that population kind of stayed there and we had a hard time transitioning those as much. So kind of decided to go to kind of go my own way. And my husband is from Des Moines, Iowa actually. And so I took a job in Des Moines about three years ago now. 
time working at a pediatric outpatient clinic there, um, part of the children's hospital. And so I got brought on there with my feeding knowledge to kind of start a feeding program there. <laughs> and so everybody just wants me to start some feeding programs. Like, so, here we go again. <laughs> right? But it was great. Great residence yeah. after, right? So they were like, oh, we don't really have a feeding therapy here. We have an inpatient, but we don't have an outpatient. So my job there was to grow an outpatient program and to help the NICU babies who were leaving the hospital have somewhere to go for follow-up. So I got the baby population. I was actually pregnant with my daughter and um, the feeding therapist that worked inpatient, who was really great. She was like, I mean, you're having a baby and you're a feeding therapist. So like, you got this, like you can work with the baby. <laughs> She's oh like, I think gosh. you have enough knowledge. I think you have the desire. Like, this is your population. Like you are going to transition all the kids off their YouTube or end YouTube when they leave the NICU and you're going to work on starting solid. So now I'm like, a starting college person there. I did starting college with my baby. I kind of got into that whole thing. Um, I started an Instagram account and the Instagram account was meant to be for friends and family members who have all the questions about feeding babies. And kind of that developed into something else. I started posting everything that I knew about feeding on there and people started liking it. So that was just kind of a little passion of mine, watching my daughter eat salads and um, continuing to do what I do at the children's hospital for NICU follow-up stuff and still kind of looking into getting into the NICU. <laughs> there is a line, but I'm waiting in that line. <laughs> and you might be a little bit closer now that you actually work in their outpatient program, right? <laughs> right? Yeah, right. <laughs> now you just have to train somebody else to take over all of that so that you can leave and they won't feel like yeah, you're missing. Absolutely, right? So I told Hallie, I was like, I don't know if I'm ready for this interview yet. I feel like my story just started. Like I'm still in the middle no. of a lot of things and working towards some things. So here I am. No, I mean, I think that's amazing. Like there's so much to unpack there because like here you came out of grad school and you, you know, you really wanted to go into the NICU. And I think that that is such a common goal and desire of so many SLPs graduating that think like, I'm going to go spend my CF in a NICU and I'm going to get mentored by somebody in the NICU and I'm going to work with these babies. And I've heard two different sides of it, right? One side is that, okay, going into the NICU is like this glorious thing. You get to work with the babies and like, oh, life is grand, right? And then there's the flip side where it's like, actually, this is a really challenging job and you really need to have a solid medical background, like understanding a ton of different medical complexities and you know what's safe to do versus what's not safe to do or what like contraindications are there possibly. Like there's just so much you need to know, which is why it can be so hard to get into the NICU, right? And so, and I think because it is so highly desirable, um, it's funny, we were talking about this on a call last night on a bonus call that we did for um, our Feed the Peds group. And for some of our members that joined like in the first 24 hours, we offered them like a, a call on your, like basically talking about your career path, right? And so like, how do we get to next steps from where we are now kind of thing? Um, and that this came up, like getting into the NICU and um, Kristen West, who's one of our co-creators of the course, she shared, she was like, look, like I used to go with all of my feeding patients on visits, like all of my patients, like I would go as often as I could into that hospital for like, you know, swallow studies. And she's like, so by the time that I applied for the position, like I was a familiar name and face. They knew I was a team player. They knew I was dedicated. They knew I, they knew me, like they knew they, that I knew what I was doing. And so even though like she, I think wasn't maybe next in line, right? Cause we, like you said, there is that line of people that are like waiting for that position. 
um, she got the position. And, you know, she's like, because they already knew me. And so I was like, that is genius. <laughs> like, that is just right. so, yeah. I mean, not that everybody has the ability to go and do that, but I think there are definitely, one, there's ways to get in, but two, I think it's, it's like one of these things, like I, I like to compare it to like event planning. When I was growing up, I worked for an event planner and everybody like looks at these big, expensive, beautiful events that you see on TV or you see like weddings and bar and mitzvahs and all these things. And people are like, wow, it's so glorious. I want to be an event planner. And then you become the event planner and you're behind the scenes and you don't realize how challenging of a job that is because your job is to make sure that nobody on the other side of things realize that anything is wrong behind the scenes. <laughs> like you have, I mean, we have literally put out fires on a table that caught fire. Like when we say like we put out fires all day long, like it's literally happened. So, you know, it's one of those things like there's been broken glass and how do you like try to distract people away from realizing there's broken glass and like clean it up quickly and oh, this person happened to cut their foot. So now we got to sit with them and work, wait for the ambulance to come. And now everybody's got to sign these papers. I mean, I know this is not pediatric feeding, but it's just like, to, nobody thinks about like that side of things. They only see like the big shiny lights and they're like, woo, pediatric feeding in NICU. And um, it's, it's one of those things where like, you don't want to discourage somebody from going in, but you also want people to realize like that the reality of working in that position, like that is a hard freaking job. Like that is not glorious. <laughs> yes, you get to be around babies. Yes, you get to make a big difference, but it is, it's challenging and it can be emotionally draining and like, so, you know, I've heard a lot of um, NICU therapists say, like, it is, it's an amazing job. It's a very rewarding one, but, like, you've got to, like, also really know what you're doing before you step foot in a NICU and expect to become that NICU therapist, which obviously you have the extensive experience at this point to work with that population. Um, but, yeah, right out, do you feel like right out of grad school you would have been ready, like, even with mentorship? No, not at all. Actually, like right out of grad school, I would have been like, yeah, I got this. I know what they did or whatever. Cause I watched it for, oh, I don't know, however many months or whatever. And now like looking back, like even me today, I would feel uncomfortable being in there. I remember like when I first took the job at the children's hospital, I went up there and I shadowed quite a bit right away. And I was just like almost overwhelmed by it mm -hmm. and not having that medical based experience, like a ton of it. And I have it now. I feel like I've got a good, like almost three years of it and really complex from the children's hospital and stuff. And I still get overwhelmed by that sometimes. And yeah. all my babies come out of the NICU. And so I'm starting to get like a handle on it, but I really just almost want to go in there just to see what they've gone through. So I was kind of like, I'm good. I like where I am now actually better, I think, because I get the NICU babies, but I get them for that early intervention. And I know where they go because I've been through all the steps. And so I actually really kind of love where I'm at now and doing like a NICU follow-up role more. Um, but I did just convince my boss that I needed to go into the NICU because <laughs> the NICU gal came out into one of my sessions and was just like analyzing the kiddo I was working with. And I was just like so obsessed with everything we did like as a team together. Cause she's like, oh, she's doing this because, um, because she was intubated or because she was used to like being on the ventilator and she's like seeking that movement and stuff. And I, it was just like dream team kind of stuff. So yeah that experience I was like I gotta get in there I need to work with all the different specialists and I need to see what they're doing and I need to know what those babies go through on like a very personal level and to be able to like really connect with those families right when they come out so that's kind of where I'm going with it now I mean I'm happy to help there whenever but I feel like where I'm at now is where I want to be for a while because still gonna work with the babies but it is intense in there it's super intense 
Yeah. And it's a whole different feeding therapy. Like it's not the same. Like every place that I've worked, I've done completely the same therapy, but it's different. Even in ba- like babies and starting solids versus kids is like way different. So oh, yes. everybody says that, but absolutely. <laughs> yeah, no, 100%, 100%. Yeah, I mean, it's when I work with like, you know, the kids who come in as like selected eaters who are toddlers, you know, versus that baby who comes in who's, you know, three months old and now refusing the breast and bottle, you know, versus that child who started solids and is now refusing solids, but they're still in their first year of life or the kid who like just turned 12 months and they're like, well, we thought we were fine because they were refusing solids, but now we really need to get them to eat solids. You know, like every single one of those cases is so different. And it, it like you said too, it's, you know, obviously like I'm in my own private practice. And so I don't always have access to like their entire past team that they've worked with, right? I can gain access pretty easily to their current team. Um, but knowing like their history, understanding the full scope of what they've been through, uh, like you mentioned, you know, whether they've been on a ventilator, or they've been intubated. I mean, these babies are so poked and prodded and their sensory systems, like there's even things and ways that you can go about. Like I know Ramya talks about this in the course that like there's ways that you can go about working with these babies in the NICU so that you are hopefully not damaging their sensory systems, right? right? So that you're really optimizing, you're giving them what they need from a medical standpoint, but you're also doing it in a way that hopefully is not going to set them up with sensory processing issues down the road because a lot of that can start from what happens in the NICU. These babies are constantly poked and prodded things on their face. I mean, who wants to eat when you're constantly, like things are just constantly on you, coming at you, you know, it's very invasive. So, um, you know, I think that's really, it's it's a really cool partnership that you're able to actually have that, you know, link up with her and understand like fully like where these babies came from. And that I think that can make your therapy so much more successful when you really have a full understanding, not just of the medical history, but like the person who probably was actually their therapist. Like that is super cool. (laughs) That is really cool. (laughs) It's very cool. It's like dream team stuff. I love it. (laughs) I love it. For sure. Um, the other thing you mentioned too, that was really cool. So like you stepped into this practice with this amazing business owner, it sounds like who was able to say, well, Hey, we don't have that, but I'm open to supporting you in creating that. Cause once you probably knew like smart business owner, like this is another source of income for our private practice. Like, why would I say no? And like, you want to take it on by all means, you're not asking me to do it. You're just helping me, you know, helping me, mm-hmm. or maybe she has to foot some, you know, a little bit of an investment financially into it all. Um, but like, what a cool thing to be able to like be given that, like go ahead to be that feeding therapist, take the courses you needed to take and to then develop the program and train other therapists. And like you said, um, I think it's really cool that she took like her initial group and then like you guys kind of also became those business development, like, you know, managers of the other, the other, uh, sites that built out from that. So, I mean, that's really cool too. So what, tell me like a little bit more about your experience there. Like, were you in multiple locations? Did you oversee different locations or a certain team? Like, how did that all work? Um, it kind of started, we had like a main location and we did feeding all in one location because that was easier, but then people would want it in different locations. Um, there was first like about three locations and I would do like a day in each. So I did a day in each different one. And then as people came about, then, um, we would add somebody into that one. So another feeding therapist would take a day there and then I would go somewhere else. So, um, pretty, I mean, it was probably a couple years, but once we started getting a team of therapists, then I started doing more overseeing of teams and creating programs and things like that. Cause we had a lot of groups and then the groups actually ran through multiple locations as well as the feeding therapy did. 
Um, and everybody, I mean, there was feeding therapy. It, they would start usually without feeding therapy and then feeding therapy would get added once the need was great enough. And then we would add that to that site basically. So, and if there was enough kids at whatever time, then we'd add, um, that as well. I and love then, that. That's so yeah, cool. So it kind of, but then as it started getting bigger and bigger, I was kind of moving out of the feeding therapy role and more into like a bigger business role too, I feel like. So there was this weird, I wasn't sure if I wanted to be the, like a business owner and running like clinics and stuff versus doing, um, versus like doing the feeding stuff. So it was kind of conflicted there of like, do I really want to keep doing feeding? Feeding's really my passion, but now running this feeding and running, like I was running like a clinic at the time as well. And then it was just getting to be a lot and going back to feeding, like my goal in life would be to probably have a private practice someday or to have a feeding clinic of some kind. And I was kind of like, well, I feel like I need to get back to my basics and see, I'm kind of missing this medical population. The medical population is huge for me. I, I need to understand this, you know, and I need to see some of these kids and I need to carry out and see if the NICU is really my dream job or whatever too. So, you know, it's all kind of led me to where I am today. So yeah, it continues to fluctuate. <laughs> no, I love it. And I think, and I asked about that too, because like I just did a business series on the podcast and not like a couple episodes back. And so we had a lot of, um, a lot of individuals who also were like, I have this passion, right? And I want to be a business owner. I'm not really sure how to do it. Or we've got some who have opened a private practice, but they're looking to grow it. Or they just want different like business, you know, tips, ideas, kinds of things. And so I think it's really cool because I feel like you know, I had my own practice, but I kind of followed a, sim followed a similar mentality where like I tried to bring on different therapists that specialize in different things so that we could meet the need of area patients that came to us and not have to turn somebody away. Obviously, if we couldn't meet the need, like we did refer out. Um, but, you know, the other thing you said that was really cool is like the program grew with the need of your patients, right? So we literally would have patients come to us and we didn't have OT in the beginning. It was just speech pathologists. And, you know, we had patients who were like, please find OTs that will travel to our home. And it's like we travel to our patients primarily. And I was like, you guys, like I have been searching for these OTs. Like they do not like to travel. They have so much stuff. And like, I'm like, I know SLPs can be the same way with like all of our bags of, of things and everything. But like a lot of the OTs were like, but how are you going to travel with all this like OT equipment? And you don't have like a sensory gym and you don't have this and you don't have that. And I'm like, but maybe you could help create these things in your patients' homes, which would be even more effective because then they have access to it ongoing between sessions. Um, so anyways, I did. I have found OTs over the years to join our team and it's been amazing, but it totally grew out of like families like begging us, like, please, please, like we've tried so many other area services. Like this is like what we're like, basically we met a need, you know? And so I think that's really cool too. Cause you were like, there clearly is a need for X, Y, and Z. Like, let's just, now it's time to boost this up. Like, let's do it. Um, and so that, I mean, from a business side of things, like even though it wasn't your private practice, like how grateful that boss should have been for you if she wasn't, I'm sure she was. Uh, because I mean, you basically, it sounds like you were running the place as if it was your own, which is awesome. She used to be super lucky for that. That's really, I mean, it's, it's uncommon. It's, it's common to find great therapists, but it's uncommon to find people that will truly like run a place or create something that's not actually their own, right? To do it like under somebody else's practice. So, I mean, that's like super cool of you. <laughs> For sure, like right place, right time. And I was brand new, so I wasn't like, you know, I wouldn't have wanted to start my own practice right then anyways, you know, like yeah. not at all. Like my goal has always been like 
if I start my own pra private practice, like I need to know everything about feeding, which is where I am now, which is I just am like, well, if I do that, which I actually was listening to your podcast on business and you said, start today, why wait? And I was like, oh man, gosh, I should probably stop that mentality of like, I have to take every training under the sun before I can do this. But I feel like I've got a good, well-rounded thing going on but it took me 10 years, so. Yeah, no, I mean, but it sounds like from what you said, like, I think, yes, you don't need any more trainings. We'll leave it at that, but I think if you feel like you need to get in the NICU first, though, like, my thought would be, like, definitely, if that's the next step for you, to, like, live out that dream to figure out, like, is this right for me or not, or do I want some experience here? You could also do two things. You could be in the NICU part-time and have your own private practice, too. I mean, so there's always, like, a nice, like, I tell people it's not, doesn't have to be, like, one or the other. Um, and then look, like you start like building up your own private practice and you're like, I love this way more than like being in the NICU. Like this is more stress than I want in my life right now. Like I love these babies, but somebody else can have it. And I know it's a highly desired position, so they're not going to go untreated. You know, then yeah. it can, then it's sort of like, but then I already have this nice little thing over here that I can step into. Like, who knows? I mean, not saying that'll be the direction you go, but it's, you know, I always say like, be open to like where things go, but you definitely have enough experience to open up a private practice. So <laughs> You don't need any more courses before you do. Functional therapy, and now it's like, it's horrible. I can't stop. I know. I well, it's like we say, you put your myo eyes on, you can't take them off. Like as soon as you start like down that new rabbit hole of something in like pediatric feeding, tots, myo, all the things, it's like you just keep going deeper and deeper into the rabbit hole. You're like, where is the ladder to climb out of this place I'm currently stuck in? So then you also had your kiddos, right? At what point, so how far along were you in your career when you had your children? Because I know that obviously changed things for you too, right? Yeah. I also have two children. Sorry to neglect them. Um, I have an almost five-year-old and I have a two and a half-year-old. Yeah. Um, so our kids so, are the same age. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm going to say yes. They're pretty close to yours, actually. Yeah. Um, so I was... I had Cohen when I was working in um, in Wisconsin, and when I moved to Des Moines, I was pregnant with Capri. So I feel like when I had Capri, I did a lot more. Like that was obviously my baby experience. From what you said, you know, you have a baby, so you're gonna know what you're doing. So I was like, <laughs> well, I'll just keep practicing on her, and then I was like, also, I'll take videos of them because I always wish that I would have done that with Cohen. Um, but I wasn't like totally there yet. <laughs> I was just kind of like a new mom and overwhelmed and whatever, you know, just like what to do. And also when I had Cohen, it was, um, I was working with older kids most of the time anyways, so it wasn't as relevant. Um, but with Capri, definitely relevant. And I did the whole baby led weaning thing with her. I did it with Cohen too, but more so with her, you know, I was studying all the things and learning all about it and trying to do it all the right ways. Um, and it was super helpful. I mean, having kids is awesome to your um, practice anyways, because it gives you that extra layer of um, like connection to the families and understanding where they're at and all those things. Mm -hmm. And um, while I was doing starting college with Capri actually and doing the whole Instagram thing and videotaping her, then I was actually videotaping Cohen as well. And I realized that, <laughs> that he was actually way pickier than he probably should be, of course, for being my child and for me having <laughs> where I'm telling them all these things to do so I made it like my mission to like stop him from being picky when I started it and it worked so if you put the time in it will work I have found that out <laughs> they're like he like will literally eat everything like for a few days ago when I'm like 
yes, this is finally like, actually I'm a hundred percent sold that I've done my job, but <laughs> it was kind of a process too, but it was super fun to work that out and to kind of teach people through it and what you can do, but it was like a two year process. So I feel like there's hope for everyone. And it was nice to kind of show that and kind of practice what I preach too. So yeah. that's always good. They're always keeping me grounded there and keeping me busy and also probably a reason why I'm not going like completely crazy with everything right now, but <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. I always say the joke's on me because, you know, Lily was my like kid who didn't breastfeed well. And then we had, she was fine transitioning to solids. She had like a vomiting incident after she had multiple five vaccines in one day on her 15 month appointment and had had grilled chicken for lunch and like grilled fish for dinner. And then never since that day has she eaten grilled fish or grilled chicken again. Um, yeah, I, I'm like, and I can't even, like, I can't decide. I'm still, like, on the fence as to whether, like, did it change something in her body, like, chemically, how she now tastes them because it was, like, all in her system? Like, I don't know. I don't know what she reacted to because she had five that day, so there's no way to know for sure, like, what the reaction was to. Yeah. But it was, like, real gross, like, adult vomit that she slept in in her crib all night. And thankfully, she was a belly sleeper, so she didn't, like, choke or anything. But, yeah, my husband, and like, I remember, I don't remember if it was, I, I do not, I do not remember if he walked in or if I walked in. For some reason, I feel like he walked in and he was like, Hallie, <laughs> he was like, help. Like, it was like all over the place. And he was like, and it was nasty. Like it was like, took you back to your like college days of like <laughs> friends drinking and that smell. And you're like, oh my God, I can't do this. And I'm like, this poor child slept in this for probably at least half the night. And so like, I was like this mom over here who was like, oh my gosh, my poor child. And then I started to realize holy cow, she refuses to eat the things she ate that day. And ever since then, she'll say things like, it's too spicy. And I'm like, and that just means it has too much flavor, too much taste. And she's like yeah. hypersensitive, which I think was there before already. I think that that is not from that incident because she was also the kid who would drink breast milk cold out of a bottle, um, but would not drink it warmed up. <laughs> who are you kid and prefers her food cold to this day she's starting she's getting better where now i'll be like do you want your green beans cold out of the fridge or do you want them warmed up and and she'll be like cold and then she'll be like no warm them up and i'm like yes <laughs> like headway we're making headway <laughs> i mean it's like one of those things where like as the mom i'm like joke is totally on me and and even as we've now done the pediatric feeding screener like free training and like my, in my facebook group five times now i swear every single time i do it i see something different about her as a four and a half year old where she's not even four and a half anymore right now she's like over five and i'm like huh i didn't even pick up on that last time and like someone will point something out to me and i'm like i probably should get her an ote bell <laughs> Yeah, I'm like, I think I need to call one of my OTs be like, hey, uh, so Lily, you want to assess her? Great. Because um, she's she's really, she's functional from like a day-to-day -day standpoint. But at the same time, I'm like, there's probably things we could do to make things a little easier for her. So yeah. She's therapized by you. So right, exactly. Like, oh yeah. Like she's becoming more like, so we also did her, her growth appliance, her ALF. And so she has been really awesome at trying new things now. She's open to trying new things. I think she's managing them differently. She's maybe they're hitting taste buds differently. I don't know, but she's definitely, and maybe it's part of its age. Like she's now willing to try new things, but she still will be like, yuck. Like as soon as she tastes something like, she's like, I tasted it. I hate it. Don't give it to me again. And we're trying to like re-encourage her. Like, well, we're just going to have this on the table today. And you know, if you want to try it, great. It's right there. And if not, fine, whatever. And she'll be like, I'll try it. 
So she can get like a little star in her star chart. She's like, I'm going to try it. That's going to be my new food today. And we're like, that's not really new. You've had it before, but by all means, go right ahead. <laughs> so, you know, it's like you play these like little games with your kids as a feeding specialist. And it's like, oh yeah. my gosh, mom, why, why my kid? <laughs> Yeah, but I can definitely relate to like also being like, oh, I wish I took more videos of Lily. Um, I did take 5 million thousand pictures and I think I have some videos and we're homeschooling right now. And so I actually, I was like, Lily, pick a baby picture that you want to put into your little like, you know, it's like about me thing that we printed off from this homeschool program. And so she picked her little hospital picture. And then now like, you know, then we had to have a, a recent, like a current picture too. And we did that. And then it's like, okay, now go back and pick another infant picture. So she's like, go all the way back to the beginning of like my, my birth, like a little scroll. And I'm like, okay. So we go all the way back to like, you know, 2015 and we're scrolling through and I am seeing these pictures and her mouth is like sometimes closed, sometimes open. And I'm like, what? And then I start to see more and I'm like, there's a picture with her tongue like resting between her lips. And I was like, what? I'm like, what? I'm like, holy cow. I never noticed these things. And like, I also wasn't trained in Mayo at the time, like five years ago. And I was just sitting here yesterday and I was like picking my job off the floor. I was like, holy crap. <laughs> oh my gosh. And so I'm like, well, now I have some great Instagram content. Pull that one, pull that one. I was like, and Lily's like, no, no, keep going. I'm like, no, no, wait, I have to email this to myself or I'm going to lose it. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's, it's as the mom of the child, you just get into this like, yeah, I don't know. And, and people say too, they're like, Oh, you're gonna have a baby or you're a mom, you know everything. No. For me, it was like I became that mom and everything I knew went out the window. Like I knew nothing at that point about being a feeding therapist when I had my own child. It was like I literally forgot every last thing and didn't know about tots yet. Like I wasn't in the tot space, so I also didn't know to look for that until she was 24 months old. And so it, yeah, it's been quite a journey. <laughs> it's been quite a journey. Really cool. Cool story. Yeah, so anywho, so now we're we're on the other side of things and she's been expanded. And so now we're, we'll just, you know, we'll see where things go. But I think what is really cool is that we did not directly work on her becoming more adventurous. And she just kind of started to become a little bit more adventurous when we expanded her palette and grew her palette forward. And yeah, and I was like, whoa, <laughs> that is that is interesting. That is pretty cool. Yeah. Um, so tell us about your Instagram account. I know you've told us a little bit about it. Like what, where can people find you? What is the name of it? And like what kind of stuff are you sharing on there for people who are interested? Um, the Instagram account is playing at your plate. It is all about feeding therapy and feeding kids and just like having fun with food. Um, the idea kind of came from that whole early intervention perspective. Um, if you want to love food, you got to learn how to do it and you got to start young and really just embrace that holistic having fun with food, enjoying food and wanting to eat food, not just like here, have it, do it, eat it. I want people to have fun with it. I want them to enjoy it. And if they don't enjoy it from an early age, they're not going to like it. So what can we do at that early age to get them where they want to be to like it? Um, lifelong so all about like the baby led weaning and having babies kind of set the tone and kind of guide you a little bit working on a lot of oral sensory play working on sensory development right at the get-go you know getting babies out of midline getting them on the floor getting them on the tummy getting that sensory system going getting them exploring things at an early age getting them to want the new textures and tastes and flavors and all that kind of stuff um, and a lot of it focuses a little bit about that and a little bit about like older kids eating also because I have my son on there and we're kind of eating 
our daily meals together and I'm throwing out like, this is what we're doing here in case anybody cares or they're helpful or this is how I'm serving dinner tonight or this is what how we're learning about our foods or this is the cooking activity that we're doing today and just trying to get people in the kitchen and get them working with their kids from an early age and really working to foster those, that love for food versus the have one more bite and just eat baby foods. I mean, everything that I've kind of learned throughout my journey that I tell families every day. Um, the most interesting thing is actually when I started working at um, the Children's Hospital, it was, I was doing, I was getting all these babies starting solids. That was like my first caseload that came right through the door. And all these doctors were referring to me for um, just like gagging on solids, right? So it was simple things like, oh, they're stuck in Midland and they're only eating purees and they're nine months old. Like we got to transition them and here's the foods that you can use. And what about this versus this? And it was quick, it was quick, easy fixes. Like I could have just told you that, or I could just like literally hand you a different tool or a different food and you'd be okay. And so that kind of really re-inspired me. Like I got to tell people about this. People don't know about these things and they're super easy, um, yeah. you know, like, easy fixes like replace this with this or work on chewing you can't just stay at midline or get your baby on the floor do tummy time you know all that kind of stuff I feel like people with the whole back to sleep movement and all those things which everybody talks about but totally real you know there are I see so many babies that are just you know in containers or you know and they're even good parents that are reading the things but they're missing these little pieces where I just trying to spread awareness in general. And if they are scrolling through Instagram and pops up on there and it pops up in front of them, they're like, Oh, I should try that today or whatnot. So it's been kind of fun. It's nice to, I mean, I'm just really trying to spread awareness and help families out. Um, and it is what it is, but just trying to get that information out there. Kind of like you're trying to get information out there. It's just, if you see it all the time and you're like a simple fix would probably help this. It's just like, let's have everybody know this because it's, Sometimes the difference between like a lifelong negative experience with food and being picky the whole your whole life versus wow that never even had to be that hard you know so yeah hoping those tips and tricks just kind of help and resonate with people yeah no I love it and obviously I follow your account I've been following you for a while and I love your account and I think that it's so cool what you're doing because like like you said you're just it's like we need to we need to change the conversation of what parents are getting in their feeds, right? Like if we can get information that is going to, like you said, help maybe put them on the right trajectory so that they have a positive experience and they don't end up going down the path of having a negative one that gets them into a spiral downward of other negative negative experiences. Like if, if an Instagram post or something can do that, like how cool, right? Like, and then they find your account and they're like, wow. Like, cause you know, there are certain accounts where people post things and I'm like, I just, you're like that Pinterest mom that I cannot follow. But like when I found, when I found your account, I was like, oh, like this is cute. Like I could like pick up like two little bananas and hold them in front of my eyes. Or like I could like, you know, like I think you posted the kiwi today, which was super cute. And you showed how like you could have some fun with food. And okay, well obviously we peeled the kiwi anyways. And so you showed how like you peeled the kiwi. It was like two thirds of the way, but kind of like jagged. So it was like Frankenstein's like hair or something. Or like, you know, um, I don't know if it was, I think it was, simple I mean it's so simple but it's so I'm like but also my kids could have fun with it too creating it because it almost looked like I don't know if it was like a piece of carrot or something that used for the mouth and like we could use like two little um like mini chocolate chips for the eyes and it was like this little franken kiwi and I was like this is the cutest easiest thing to do like this won't take me an hour to like present this beautiful plate of food it's like something cute I could put on the middle of the plate and like they're gonna be like oh my gosh, this is so fun, right? And so, I mean, that's really the whole idea is like, how can we 
make food fun, make it a positive experience, not make parents feel like they have to like go overboard with like preparing like seven different foods and beautiful presentations in a lunchbox every day. Um, because it's not like, that's not feasible. And what I hear from so many of my parents is like, I don't want to spend the time doing it knowing my child's not going to even touch it. Like, especially, you know, especially for those kids who are picky, but then it's like, well, we need to find a way to present this in a fun way so that their guard is down. And, you know, and there are little things that, like you said, that we can share that if we can get out into the mainstream that like either, hey, this is kind of a red flag if this is going on, like maybe you should talk to somebody before things spiral and get worse, you know, or oh, hey, like here's this cute little thing you can do at home with your kid and like this is something that's actually gonna really benefit their, their feeding trajectory going forward and maybe the parent doesn't even realize how big of a deal that is, but who cares, you know, or, you know, like little things like I've shared, um, with sippy cups to avoid and actually don't drink out of sippy cups, use open cups or straw cups and which ones I like. And if you're having trouble, hey, try these. And if you're still having trouble, maybe you should contact somebody, you know? So, you know, or hey, by the way, pacifier should be out by six months. And if your child will only take the man pacifier or something that has that type of shape, well, we might want to look in baby's mouth because there's probably other things going on. And oh yes, by the way, those symptoms are all connected to why your child will only take that pacifier, you know? And so I think like it's, it's become such a good place. It, there's so much noise, so it can also be hard to figure out like who do you listen to, what do you follow. Um, but that's why like I definitely have my groups, and I like to share things like from certain profiles that like I know like I as a mom like to follow. Like as a mom and a feeding therapist, I'm like this is good info. It's not overwhelming. It's totally like you know something I can do as a busy mom who also has a two businesses and like is like what? and a picky picky selective eater and you know um so so one thank you for that because I think it's a really amazing account and I hope that you continue forward with it and like you know monetize it in some way I think you should totally do that too <laughs> you should get paid for all of this amazing information you're putting out there um but yeah no it's it's really Instagram has definitely I think become like the way of the future so I love I love your playing at your plate account and I love the whole idea behind it thank you thank you and it is it means a lot for me for you to say that and also for you to note those things that I was picking up on like for sure, all of my crafts are meant to be like less than five seconds because if it takes too long to do a um, smiley face pancake or something, then it's not worth your time. <laughs> oh, let me tell you, like I bought one of those um, those like pancake kits from uh, Foodsters and I was like, this is going to be so fun. And it says it makes, I don't know, like eight pancakes. So I'm like, whatever. Like even if I'm like really, you know, taking my time, like how long is that going to take me on like eight right. pancakes? Okay, first of all, I, I love them. Their ingredients are great, but their stuff always has way too much. Like there's always extra ver versus like the serving size they say it's gonna create. I was at the stovetop for two freaking hours making pancakes <laughs> and I had like two plates stacked and my kids were standing there the whole time like, make me a kitty cat, make me an astronaut, make me a dinosaur, now make me a doggy. Can I have a heart? And I was like, oh my God. I was like, never, never again. I have not bought it since because I'm like, while it was like fun for, you know, 20 minutes, I'm like, that that was my cutoff. <laughs> It has to be practical. It has to be fast. Yeah. I was, I was like, so next time I know. Everything. So. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. Yeah. No, but I love everything that you're doing. I think it's awesome. I love how your posts are also very like clean. Like it's like nice background with beautiful colored foods and like so simple to understand what you're saying in the post. It's like not overwhelming. 
So thank you for that. Cause I know like, and I don't know if you make this or if you give it to somebody else to make, but I know that it can be very time consuming to create these posts. Cause I have been on that side of things too. I end up creating a lot of my Instagram posts still. Um, so yeah, there's a labor of love there. Thank you for that. <laughs> I'm the least technologically advanced person of all time. I was like, I hadn't even done Instagram when I made it. And I was like crying the whole time. Like, this is the worst thing ever. I don't even know what I'm doing. I didn't know about stories. People are still like, you should talk on your stories. And I'm like, I hate talking to my phone. I can't, like, you gotta do it. So I'm like doing all the things. I make all my posts. It takes me like an hour and a half to make every post. I know, 100%, I know. I'm trying to get more efficient. So thank you for thinking that they're awesomely, <laughs> awesome looking because they took me forever, but I'm trying to be more efficient. And I'm learning from other people. I love collaborating with other accounts and seeing what they do. And they'll send me like, a template of their post and be like, here, put it in there. And I'm like, that's so smart. I need to do that. Like, yes. So, Canva yeah. is a beautiful thing. <laughs> Creating Canva. And, and I was the same way too. It was really funny. Like I was like, I, and I'm like, I feel like I'm aging myself here, but I was like, you know, it's all on Facebook. I have a big following on Facebook. Well, I don't need this Instagram thing. And then last summer we were at the beach and I was like, I think it's time to get on Instagram. <laughs> I think I'm like, I have an account. I've literally never done a thing with it other than post like a couple pictures of my kids. This was literally like August, 2019. And so it has been a year since I really like upped my presence on Instagram. And, I, and then I got like obsessed and was like, oh, this is kind of fun. And now I'm like, I'm like you though. I'm like up at one in the morning and when it comes to me and I want to put a post out there, I'm like, I've got to write it now. Like I've got to like, and I put them up at the most random times, like in real time. Cause I'm crazy like that. And yeah, I'm like, well, that post took me, like you said, like an hour to an hour and a half to write. So we won't do that for another four weeks. <laughs> I have like a phone list of ideas that come to me like in the middle of my sleep. And it's like so many long, like hundreds of things long. And yeah. I just have to them because it's too hard for me to make them. No, I, I hear you. I'm the same way. And I'm, I have that like running list too. Where I'm like, I'm going to go back and pull from this and we'll do this. And we'll have like themes and blah, blah, blah. And it, yeah, none of it ever happens. But nope. I get so inspired by like conversations going on on Instagram. So like oftentimes if people ask me questions or there's something going on that's like in one of my groups, like one of my private groups, I feel like or I have like a case with a kiddo and I'm like, this is something I feel like most like more people need to hear. Like that is typically what like inspires a post from me. And then I will do my best to like have a well-rounded conversation around it. So it's not just like my opinion, my experience, but it's like looking at it from like various people's different opinions and trying to like integrate that into a cohesive conversation, right? And so like that is what takes so much freaking time to like, you know, make it beautiful and appealing so someone actually reads it in the Instagram post. And then obviously you have to have your, you know, beautiful picture post as well. So there's that. But <laughs> I've become quicker at making the actual like Canva post. It's the, it's the technical, like the writing that goes along with it. Like that definitely is like, <laughs> it's a whole, it's a whole, yeah. I'm like, it's a job in and of itself, but amazing. Amazing. Well, yes, everybody needs to go follow you um, on your Instagram account. I can't, I'm like tripping over my words here, tripping over my words here, um, playing at your plate on Instagram. Amazing, amazing account. I think that patients should, or patients, providers should share it with their patients too, because I think that families could lean a lot of useful information from your account. Is there anything else you want to share that we didn't talk about today? 
No, that is good. I was up for talking about anything. So thank you for highlighting my whole life. I love it. I love it. And I think it's so helpful for people to hear. And the last thing that I want to bring up is that I know you're, um, you joined our Mayo membership. And so now you're going down the Mayo rabbit hole. So I would love to hear, you know, people hear me talk about it all the time, but I would love for them to hear from somebody who's like new to the group and is experiencing it. I mean, it, the thing is only three months old. Like we've only been doing this since July, but, um, but I would love for them just to hear like your take on it, your thoughts as somebody who's new to the Mayo world and new to the Mayo membership, if you'd be willing to share. Yeah, no, I thought it was super awesome. Um, it was actually really, easy for me to navigate and stuff even um like having feeding background was good i am not trained in mayo which i'm considering training in it and that's why i did it i almost did it as a precursor like is this worth it or not um and i am super interested in it i feel like it was really good knowledge for me and now i have a really good handle on it and i know how to do a little bit of an assessment um like i was telling you earlier it's really hard for me to get area providers right now on my team with it um so me i feel like i really need to make sense of it and know a lot about it before i have a really good handle now of what it is and i would feel very confident um recommending it to other people or recommending people to like a myofunctional therapist i feel like that is where i'm at right now and i feel very confident in that and feel like i have some kids that do it but I just like, I feel like, I don't know, I think I'm the person that like needs to know so much about it and hear, you know, see it work and stuff to be really sold on it. Yeah. So I think that I just need to like practice some of it, which I still don't know any techniques or anything, but I love the study group. There was a study group that we did and I um, was live for that. It was super cool to just hear everybody talk and to see if they study, like that was awesome. Um, and just to kind of know how it works. So just for my overarching knowledge of all things feeding. I love it for that. And I'm excited for the trainings that are coming up. Um, I think it's awesome that you get CEUs and stuff. I got the website and everything was set up super easy. Um, there was tons of good resources and stuff. So I love that I joined it. I'm not regretting it at all. Yay. I actually think that I'm going to pause my membership and go to the Feed the Peas one just because I want to know what's in there. And I'm obviously obsessed with like, I want to know how to do Maya with babies or like you know, just a little bit of that or like the younger population and just how you do that as well. Um, just really because it's so interesting to me. Um, so I'm continuing to learn. I'm, you know, following all these people now and learning about their courses. Okay. And I know it's a lot. It's a lot. The things that I want to do next with it, but I do appreciate your course. I love it. spreading awareness of it. And I'm super glad that I joined and I'm actually like kind of wanting to be like, well, I kind of want to go up one more month just to see like what this <laughs> training is going to be or whatnot. Um, but you've opened my, my mind to so many different providers and different things too. And I've looked up some things online and found some different resources and I'm getting the whole, <laughs> it's a rabbit hole and I know about it and everybody at work literally hates me because <laughs> oh my gosh, that person I was talking to, I bet like let's hear Mackenzie talk about it for 20 hours. And nobody there does feeding either, so they're just like so annoyed by me. I'm trying to give like all the SLPs that they need to do like myofunctional therapy. They're done with me, so that is so funny. <laughs> I love it. I've actually heard that from quite a few people. They're like, I'm really glad to have the bio membership group now because my husband is really tired of hearing it or my co-workers are really tired of hearing me talk about like blah, 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 blah. It's, it's, it's so exciting. Like when you start to learn about this and you really just want to start telling the world because you're like, why don't more people know about this? Like you probably have 10 symptoms and all go back to what's going 
going on in your mouth and like even if you don't have a tongue tie you probably have an omd and if you right. know and, and we can help you and like maybe your sleep is messed up and that's why you have morning headaches and you're tired all the time and blah 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 and you start just going down this rabbit hole and it's like you know it, it snowballs from like pediatrics into adulthood where like all of a sudden you have all these symptoms nobody realizes it ties back to the mouth and so yeah, so obviously we could talk about this for hours, but yeah, I'm super excited for you. Um, this month we have, um, we're doing a crash course in OMT and oral patient myofunctional therapy. So that's a really cool like CE topic next week to be, I think it's next week. I'm like, I don't even know what week it is anymore. Um, to Yeah, next week, I think it's like next Wednesday, Angie's teaching it to be learning about, uh, because that's also like a great kind of intro thing to give a little bit more of like a background on it. Um, and then, yeah, my goal is just to bring topics that like members want to learn more about because there's so much that integrates in, but I think it's so important to have a feeding background because you already understand so much about like the anatomy and the physiology. And like, for me, that's what made it so easy for me to jump into this was because I had that feeding background. So I think you're going to have that, that similar experience. Um, and all of a sudden, like when you do your course, you're going to be like, oh my gosh, this all makes so much, like this is the missing piece to the puzzle. Like this makes so much sense. Um, and the person, it is important in my opinion, who you take the course with, because there are a lot of courses out there. And I think while all of them might be great, my goal is that you should walk away from a course like that with the ability to start assessing and treating. And mm -hmm like 90% of people who I talk to cannot. So they spend all this money, they go take this intro course, they walk away, they have no freaking clue how to assess or treat. And that's why I was like, wait, 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 what? Like the person who I took it with who's no longer with the IAOM, she teaches on, like she basically does like a live eval, like, hey, this is how you eval and you practice it on yourself. And like you leave like with her program that kind of guides you through how to do Mayo. and. You know, it's not a cookbook recipe, but it gives you a jumping off point so you can kind of take that program and like adapt it to your patients and figure out where to go with your own patients. And so for me, that's what was like, I was like, this is missing. Like she does it, but like most people don't. And so um, my whole idea behind like the Mayo membership too was, okay, well, people don't want to go take a second intro course. Like they've already spent all this money. So what if we could give them like continuing ed while training them like how to assess and training them because they have a lot of the background and then training them not just how to assess, but now also how to treat. And so that's where like for the members who um, who joined in June and July and then all set like people are already in, plus anybody who joined in September, we offered um, free access to this my own mouth exercise, like library and training that we're creating. And that's gonna give you more of like the treatment side of things. And so that we're working on now and should be out like mid-November. So because you're in the my own membership, you'll already have access to that too. Um, but yeah. Yeah, the whole idea is just like, that's my whole big thing. You should never walk away from something that you've invested good time, energy, money into without the ability to start applying it immediately to your patients, like whether it's assessment, treatment, or both. And so that's kind of like the back, like the cornerstone, like the backbone behind any of my programs is like, I don't want you leaving here without understanding like how to adapt this to who you're already working with or your new patients coming your way. So, so yeah, that's my little soapbox on that one. <laughs> Yeah, no, I'm excited. I'm so we can chat more, you know, offline about like which courses to take and everything. And <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. There was a lot. There was a lot. I didn't it's a lot to unpack. Before I took that, took your course, I was like looking into it and I was like, okay, so I spend like $2,500 and I have to get like a mentor or something like, I don't know. And there was like nobody around me that did it. And I was like, 
is this like real? What am I supposed to do with this information? Yeah, no, it's, um, and they're changing the process like through the IAOM who certifies, they're the only certifying body. Well, there are two bodies now that certify. There is um, Sandra Holtzman's group that gives you a QOM, um, which is like you're a qualified orofacial myologist. And then there's the IAOM that does certified orofacial myologist. And there's like other things out there too. But in my opinion, like if you're going to go one of the two certification routes, like those are the two two ways mm -hmm. to go. Um, the AOMT is also another good option. And so it's like basically the IAOM orofacialmyology.com, which is NeoHealth or Sandra Holtzman for that second one. And then like um, AOMT. The AOMT allows OTs also to become myofunctional therapists and take their courses, which I think is super important because, in, and we were having this conversation last night actually as well, um, that OTs do feeding. And this is their arena too. And so like, I know it's a different perspective than like speech pathologists, but like at the same time, like we all have a seat at that table and I think that OT should be doing Mayo. That's my personal opinion that AOMT teaches them to do it. So we invite them into our membership too, because you know, the more people we can have from different professions that work in the mouth, sitting around a table together, the more we can learn from each other, the better we can help our patients. And so I think it's a really cool, uh, you know, relationship and like networking opportunity, if you will. But anywho, that's my whole soapbox on that topic. <laughs> I love OTs. I'm into it. <laughs> I love it. I love it. All right. Well, I'm excited for you. I'm excited for everything to come and to watch you on your Mayo journey and see like, you know, you open up a private practice, doing all the feeding and Mayo things, <laughs> while you're also like doing a little NICU on the side, you know, like all the things, right? <laughs> No, never mind that you have children that you have to take care of too, but. <laughs> it's going to be great. Can't wait. <laughs> well, this has been so much fun, Mackenzie. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. It's been a pleasure yeah, having thanks you. Thanks for having me. It was super fun. Thanks for listening to this podcast. If you want to hear more of these Mayo Tots airway and feeding related episodes, be sure to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or pledge a small amount on patreon.com forward slash the untethered podcast. If you found value, others you know in this space will too. So be sure to share this episode on your social media platforms and join us over on Facebook, on my Facebook page at Hallie Balkan Biz, on Instagram at, at Hallie Balkan. And you can head over to the untetheredpodcast.com to grab a copy of the show notes um, where you can also subscribe to be kept up to date on the latest podcast episodes. 